Scripture this morning is Hebrews chapter 13. I'm reading out of the ESV. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him... Then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are helping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the book of Hebrews, the great testament of the priesthood forever of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we put a bow on this book, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us, that the words would leap off the page, that they would, they would come new to us afresh, and that we would find your character revealed to us in a new way this morning. We give this praise, this time to you. Give us eyes to see, Lord. Give us ears to hear the word that you have for this church this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Busy morning, huh? Praise God. It's good. Things ought to be happening, don't you think? Yeah, things ought to be happening. Stuff ought to, ought to be shaking and moving. and So it's such a blessing. I don't know for you guys, but... Uh, um, so I've been, I've been here pretty much as long as, as David and Ann were. And it's a blessing to just watch stories come full circle you know sometimes you know you're left with question marks you guys ever had that like um well i don't know what happens next but if you guys don't have questions like that and you know what happens next please feel free to let me know because there's several things i'm not sure what happens next 
but it's nice to see them. To see God do things, to bring things around, to show what He's doing and how He's moving. And the journey's not over yet. So just so you know, it's just starting. But praise God for it. So this morning, Hebrews chapter 13, we'll see if the Lord wills, we'll make it. If He doesn't, we'll finish next week. But uh, as we come to Hebrews 13, intensely practical chapter. Now, we've been dealing with the practical issues in Hebrews now as we built on the idea that Christ is supreme. He's everything that we need. That He's above all the things uh, that we might look to. And, and one of the things that uh, was interesting that, that uh, David quoted Piper, one of the things I love that Piper says is that uh, God is... <clears throat> is uh, most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. He is most glorified when we are most satisfied. Finding Jesus Christ as our treasure. You see that treasure? Because that's what Hebrews is all about. He's a treasure. He's our high priest. He's supreme. He's the greatest. He's all that we need. And if we can comprehend and understand, right knowing leads to right doing. Right? Right knowing leads to right doing. If I understand these things about the Lord, then I'm going to respond properly. In Hebrews 13, there are ten things that we're going to talk about out of this. Ten, uh, ten things that we should do. It's basically a chapter on now what do we do? What do we do? Where are we going with? So we, we want to recognize. In the beginning, he starts with this idea. The first thing we need to do is respond with love toward the needs of others. Very first thing he broaches, we need to respond with love toward the needs of others. Look at verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. Be committed to brotherly love. That's how we love each other. Right? That's one of the things that Jesus said would mark a church. Didn't he? By how we love each other. By how we care for one another. By, by, by taking the... In, in America, it's weird. We, we've somehow got to this place where we... Maybe not so much in Idaho, but where we don't really know our neighbors. But it's interesting, you know, in the church, we ought to know the folks set around us. We're creatures of habit. I can tell if you guys are here or not here, because you all sit in the same seat every week. And when you sit in a different seat, you really mess my mojo up. Like, there's one, there's one group, I have to decide if they're here, whether or not I'm going to pick on them out. The Reynolds keep moving all over the place. It's like they're, they're, they were here, they were there, now they're in the back, back here. It's, they, keep me, they keep me hopping. But the point is that we should get to know one another, right? We should, we should know each other. We should care about each other. We should see how we can encourage each other. That we recognize that we do that together. If we're always looking for somebody else to do it, then it never gets done. We should be looking for, where, where's that person that, that, that nobody hugged? Or nobody said hello to. And you say, well, I don't know if, they, if someone said hello or not. Well, feel free to do it. Say it again. Give them a hug. Show them you care. Because in the world today, there's just too much of that other stuff. Right? There's plenty of things we can gripe about. If you know me for 15 minutes, I'll even give you something to gripe about. There's lots of that. What we need is to let brotherly love continue, right? To look for those opportunities. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, listen to what Paul writes. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do you catch that? Outdo each other. Not, well, I don't, you know, last time I called last time. It's their turn to call. 
Or I said hello last time. They never said hello. I'm not going to say hello. No. What's he say? He doesn't say do that. He says outdo. Be happy to be the one who gets to do it first. Be happy to be the one who gets to show brotherly love. Because, again, that's one of the marks of a believer, right? Specifically that Jesus told us. They'll know your mind by how you love each other. How you love each other. Let brotherly love continue. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God, how? To love one another. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? You remember what he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Love each other. This is what God has commanded us. God has commanded us to respond with love toward others. Hebrews 13 verse 2, he goes on to tell us, Be careful how you treat people. Do not neglect to show hospitality. Uh, hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained un- angels unaware. What's he saying? Be careful how you treat each other. Be careful. Why? Because you don't know for sure who that person is. Do you? How many times have you made a snap judgment on somebody to be wrong? Man, I, I it shames me that I have done that. That I look at somebody and I'm pretty sure... I've already made my decisions in my head, you know, and then I find out, you know what? I was wrong. And what the Bible's telling us here is, yes, it's cool. We can all have stories about maybe an angelic visitor or something broke down and somebody showed up and then they were gone. Great. But I think the point he's trying to tell us, be careful how you treat each other. Treat each other like this is a, a gift from God that has happened into your life when i was at the end abortion now conference uh i don't know a couple weeks ago in arizona um one of the guys one of the speakers i just lost his name maybe it'll come to me later on but one of the speakers was sharing how he got saved and uh so he's he's saying he just got out of the brig and he was in the the navy just got out of the brig navy story for you and he's in southern california in the 70s, and he said, back in the 70s, if you were wandering around in Southern California, the chances are somebody from Calvary Chapel was going to tell you about Jesus. Now, it's not Calvary Chapel now, but that's how he got saved. So he gets out of the brig, him and his buddies go to the, go to the beach. On their way to the beach, they see a dude broke down. They pull over to see if the guy needs help pushing or something. The guy jumps out of his car, blonde, long hair, hippie. Comes running over and says, man, I've been praying that God would send somebody for me to share the gospel with. And here you are. They're like, dude, we're here to push your car out of the way, man. And he shares Jesus Christ with them. Six of them. All six of them get saved. All six of them get saved because the blonde dude didn't just assume that they were there to push his car. What he did was assume that they were there sent by God with an opportunity for him to share the gospel. Be careful how you treat people. Because we don't ever know the last time we get to talk to somebody, do we? It's way too much of that too, right? News is sad. News is sad. I hate hearing this last week, hearing about another uh, rock star who commits suicide. I'm sad. 
I'm sad because unless somebody took the time to share Jesus Christ with them, I don't know where his eternity is. Unless somebody said, you know what? This person is in my life because God wanted them there. And I should take this opportunity. Sometimes it is less, sometimes it is more, but we want to recognize, be careful how we treat. For some of you have have entertained angels unaware. Now, I love it. I was going to share stories about Abraham and Gideon and Manoah because all those guys just entertained some dude traveling through town and then found out it was God. Every one of them just entertaining strangers and the next thing they know, the, the dude they're talking to is the angel of the Lord, which, by the way, is a reference to Jehovah, Yahweh. But the scripture says, some of you will entertain angels how? That means you're not going to know. You're not going to know. These guys all knew. They all had an experience. Praise God. And, And there was incredible blessing that came as a result. And I think there's incredible blessing as a result when we'll recognize that the, the circumstances that enter into our life on a daily basis didn't enter into our life just to cause us grief. Maybe it was just so you could share how much you love Jesus with somebody else. Maybe, maybe... Part of the struggle with our nation is because we don't do that anymore. When I was a kid, which was a long time ago for some of you, the the Jesus movement was like in full swing. I don't know if there's anybody, there's a few of you as, as gray as me that may remember the Jesus movement, but we would throw as many people as we could get into our Volkswagen bus and go to church, or go to a concert, or go to do something, and it was just part of life. And somewhere all that energy and passion for the Lord got dull, right? And then, like was shared, we fall asleep and find ourselves in a ditch. But if you want to keep a fire going, you got to keep adding wood, don't you? Don't just burn... It don't just burn by itself. We want that passion. Then be careful how you treat one another. Respond with love towards other people. Look at verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So be concerned for those who are suffering in difficult times. Be concerned. It's okay to be concerned. You know, most of the time what we do is we get bent out of shape because we're disappointed in how someone responded to their difficulty. That ever been you? It's like, oh man, just buck up. But, uh, but unless you are like the Bayshores and have experienced the death of a dream, maybe we should just try to have compassion and care about other people who are suffering. What do you think? That'd be all right? I think we could pull that off. I mean, I think we could do that. You know, I, kind of, I find myself doing the same thing. How long did we pray for Saeed? You guys remember? Those of you who remember praying for Saeed? My, I had all them bracelets out there. Free Saeed, pray for Saeed, all this stuff. Now, Saeed's out and, and going a little bit to, to the left. He's having a hard time. 
And I catch myself being critical of him. But the Bible, never one time does the Bible say, Jackie, be critical of the walk that other people have with me. Oh, it doesn't say that? No, what it, what it tells me is to care about him. Now, if I care about him when he was in prison, what did I do? I prayed for him. What about now? If he seems like he's having a really hard time, man, I don't need to go on Facebook and post with him, try to change him on Facebook. Any of you ever been changed on Facebook? Man, that, that thing. I don't, one day I'm going to preach a whole message on Facebook, but I don't have time. But I don't have time. But instead of, instead of writing to him, you know, every time I see it now, I just pray for him. Because now he's in prison in a whole different way. But if he's suffering, the Bible says, if a brother is suffering, so are you, because you're part of the same body. If your brother is suffering, pray for your brother. Now, does that mean we never confront a brother in sin? No, it don't mean if I love my brother, I'll confront him. That's how that works. I'm not talking about that, but I definitely am talking about writing people off before it's time to write them off. That's a call God gets to make, right? So when he calls us in verse 3 here, he says in verse 3, Be concerned for those who are suffering through difficult times. Remember as though imprisoned with them. Isn't that what he tells us? Like you're there with them in prison. Now sometimes we're in a physical prison bars and sometimes we're in a prison of our own making. Right? But all those things, we want to be concerned for the suffering of our brother. And, And that may mean I need to confront him and I need to... To stand right before him and talk to him. Not somebody else. You know, confrontation happens mano a mano. I don't know if you knew that. Face to face. Yeah? But it definitely means I need to be lifting him up in prayer. Now I know in in this group we got folks who voted for Trump and folks who didn't vote for Trump. But it doesn't absolve us of our responsibility to do what? Pray for him. When Obama was the president, it didn't absolve us of our responsibility to pray for President Obama either. And no matter what happens and what crazy things our loopy country does, no matter what is next, it does not absolve us of our responsibility to pray for those who are in leadership. We want to be concerned for those who are suffering difficult times. A lot of people around the world suffering, yeah? A lot of people. A lot of people right here in Buell suffering, no? In Filer, in Castleford. Twin Falls. One thing I learned is suffering, it don't care what border is up or what tracks it's got to cross. It'll cross them all, won't it? Yeah, for sure. We want to be able to respond. Okay, that's all number one. So we're not going to make it to ten. Just letting you know. Some of you are panicking, oh, he's got to do nine more? <clears throat> I do, but I don't have to do them all today. So that's all under responding with love toward others. First three verses. Responding with love toward others. Number two, reaffirm your loyalty to God's institution of marriage. Reaffirm your loyalty to the thing that God, the very first thing that God made after he made the world. Creation is done. 
First thing he made is family. First thing he made is family. Look what it says in verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So the first thing he speaks to is our attitudes. Let marriage be held in honor among most. Among a few. Well, you guys remember that little all thing I used to do? All means all, and that's all that all means. Let marriage be honored among all. That was God's institution. You don't got to get very far in Genesis to get to marriage. Genesis, by the way, is the first book. So, And we're talking certainly before 3, chapter 3. So as we look toward the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, we see God instituting family, God bringing in the marriage. Why? Because so many things that God wants to teach us are taught through the example of a relationship between two people, husband and wife, who become how many? And how many times have we asked the question, I don't understand this whole Trinity thing. How can something be three and one at the same time? Well, it's three and one the same way that a husband and wife are two and one. Didn't you know that? The Bible says, for this reason, the husband will be joined to his wife and the two shall become echad, one. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is echad. Same word. Used the same way like it was in Genesis chapter 2. Echad. Echad. Unified. One. Together. So God institutes marriage. You ever wonder why? Why the heck does the devil care about marriage? Why does anybody else care about it? Why do they want to redefine it? Who cares? You can do whatever you want to. The world is free, no? So why are we redefining? Why do we want to re- why do we want to twist it? Why do we want to tweak it? Why do we want to change it? Because it's more than just a thing or a piece of paper. It's an illustration that God presented to describe a relationship that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share. So if I was the devil, I'd want to mess that view up. I'd want to do whatever I could to tweak that. But here's what the Scripture says. The Scripture calls us in Hebrews chapter 4 to reaffirm our loyalty. Our loyalty ours. Look, I, don't, I can't change anybody's mind out there. God's got to change hearts. Yeah? But the church shouldn't look like that. Should it? Should the church just be a mirror image of the world? If Jesus Christ is Lord, then we ought to take on God's view of things. We ought to have a consistent worldview that says, this is how God has designed marriage. So, I'm going to honor marriage. I'm going to honor marriage. My attitude will hold marriage in honor. And then to recognize the act of marriage is undefiled. The bed literally is undefilable point, the the intimacy that a husband and wife enjoy in marriage was designed by God for man and wife to enjoy in marriage. It's not bad. 
It's not evil. It's not twisted. It's God's design. And then finally that we understand not only our attitude, but also our accountability to God. Listen to the last phrase of that verse. Don't just ignore it. It says, For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. We, we live in a generation, especially within the church today, that is so quick to just write all those things off and put this little phrase at the end. Well, God will just forgive me. Um, I just have a one small problem with that theology. God is able to forgive you? Absolutely. God is that in the blood of Jesus Christ can wash you clean from all your sin. Those things are both true. But in Romans chapter 6, it says, How can we who have died to sin continue to live in it? It's different to mess up. That's, we're all broke, right? We're, we're the only person who can fix us is Jesus. We need to lean on Jesus and, and ask, but we need to not lean on Jesus and make excuses for why I'm going to continue to sin. I lean on Jesus and say, Lord, deliver me from my own stupidity. Get me out of this craziness. Get me out of this attitude that I have. Let me recognize that your word declares that you will judge the sexually immoral and the adulteress. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, none of those people are going to be in heaven. Now, just in case you're sweating it a little bit, I am all of those things. But in Christ, I'm not all of those things no more. In other words, in Christ, I, I repent, I turn. I said, you know what? I can't have this no more. I can't have this attitude. I can't have this mindset. I can't have this. I can't just keep saying it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Instead, I need to say, you know what, God? Your word says no. So the answer is no. No, I'm going to turn. No, I'm going to change. No, I'm going to be the man that God is calling me to be. I need to understand, recognize. God has a plan for marriage and sexuality. It's God's plan. He's the maker. He gets to pick. He decides how it works. And if I am in Christ, then I just want you to think about it. Christ is the Son of God, and I'm in Him, then where am I going? Yeah, and I, am I going God's way, or am I going my way? So if I'm in Christ, then I'm going God's way. And if you're professing, to be in Christ, but you're going your own way, I would challenge you to consider that. Are you sure? Because the worst kind of deception is self-deception, no? The worst kind is to deceive ourselves. To deceive ourselves. Third point. Resist the love of money. Look at verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. 
For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Resist the love of money. Love of money is a a pitfall for a lot of people, huh? It's a pitfall for me. It's it's easy to love money, and it's not like it's hard. Is it hard for you guys to love money? You sit around, and you go, no, I just don't like it at all. <laughs> yeah, it's hard not to love money. It's hard. Resist the love of money, and he tells us some positive things to do about it. The first thing: learn contentment. Right? Be content with what you have. For us, guys, most of us got more than, it, than, than most of the world, right? Are we okay with that? I mean, I know you hear that all the time, but it's really true. I've been, I've been blessed to be able to travel around the world a lot of places, and trust me, we got a lot. We got a lot. And one of the things we have the, the most of is being discontented. Or malcontented. That I... I'm always wanting something else. And we sell that to one another as the American dream. Right? Because the American dream is more, 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 more. He who dies with the most toys wins a garage full of junk. Yeah? So the first positive thing he tells us, be content with what you have. So if I want to resist the love of money, I need to learn contentment. Yeah? I need to learn to be content with the things that I have. Uh, in 1 Timothy 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and how much are we taking out? Nothing. nothing. We don't get to take nothing with us. But if we have food and clothing with these, we should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Desires. Desires that pull people away from staying fruitful with Christ. I feel my desires want to pull me away. I want to learn to be content. I want to be content. But the next thing I want to learn, I want to learn confidence. To be confident in the reality that I have everything I need in Jesus Christ. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So if I'm in Christ and I'm going his way, I don't ever have to learn, I don't ever have to worry about being left. I don't ever have to worry that that he's sick of me or tired of my nonsense. Nope. He said, I will never leave you if jesus christ is my treasure then everything else pales in comparison to him but the reality is most of the time all our other desires are are starting to climb above christ and he's the one who gives it all to us for every good and perfect gift comes down from our father in heaven god delivers all those good gifts and what do we do in psalm 23 we talked about uh, the Lord is my shepherd, right? In the most dangerous places in the green grass. Because we'll start to love the grass and forget about the one who gave it to us. So I want to learn to be confident in my relationship with Christ, in the reality of what He promised me. 
He said in Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you, and He will not leave you or forsake you. God won't leave you. You bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, and He don't leave He will work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He will be the potter and you will be the clay. And God will make you. We can be confident that he is with us and that we have everything we need. Deuteronomy 31.8 It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Don't be afraid. Don't freak out. Just find your treasure in Christ. And you'll learn to be content and satisfied with what you have. And God may give you much or he may give you little. But you'll still have Christ. You'll still enjoy that contentment. 1 Chronicles 28.20 David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. Solomon's a little kid getting ready to take on a whole nation. Hey, Solomon, God will be with you. Be confident. Finally, he calls us to courage there in verse 6. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What command do to me? We need courage. Courage that says, my faith is in the Lord. For my God will supply all your needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to recognize the fear of man shouldn't control us. Fear of man does a lot of controlling, guys. Really does. For the fear of man, we won't share our love of Christ. For the fear of man, or how people will see us, we don't want to be involved in that crazy Planned Parenthood thing. For the fear of man, we don't want to talk to our neighbor We just want to keep church in the church. But you need to know that Jesus is saying, get church out of the church. The building was never meant to be the place where we lived our entire lives. Where we could be fed. Where we could be exhorted and encouraged. And then watch out. We're getting out. We're getting loose. We're taking that faith that is in our lives and hearts, and we're letting it out, letting it go, sharing it wherever we go. Don't let the fear of man stop you. I've had a lot of people who have not liked one thing or another in a different regard of multiple ministries that we've done. And I'll tell you the same thing I tell all of them. Look, if you got a better mousetrap, have at it. Hook a brother up. I'm not trying to say I, I'm the only, I got the only ideas for anything. 
Yeah? Come on. Join up. Come out. Let's go. Let's go. We'll even go together. Just tell me what you think, what we could do different, how we could do it different. How do we meet needs? How do we share? How do we go out? Let's do it. But one of the, one of the things I have discovered through multiple years, probably, I don't know, 10, 12, 13, gosh, 15, I don't know. I coached for a long time. There's a lot of people who could do it better than me. How many coaches? Any coaches? Anybody ever coach? Some of you just afraid to lift your hands, huh? <laughs> and you never heard mama or papa or uncle or aunt say, Man, if you would just do what I do, you would finally have some success. Or maybe you're already super successful. Praise God. That's awesome. There's always somebody that could do the job better. And I turn around and say, awesome, we have practice Monday through Friday. Come on out. Cricket, cricket, cricket. <laughs> What's up, man? Where are you at? So I'm great. You got a better mousetrap? Let's get at it. We'll work at it together. Let's get it done. There's a whole world of people out there that need to know, the, need to know that Jesus loves them. He died to save them. And he is able to save them to the uttermost. But they're not going to know that if I sit at home on my couch saying, you know, if Jackie would only do this, it'd get better. Well, I got an idea. Just call me and say, Jackie, I want to go do some. Let's go. Let's do it. Move that passion. Make that passion inside of you. Move to go out. And don't let the fear man control you any longer. Romans 8, 31 to 39. Last verse we'll look at. And then... What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, how's it go? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not with him also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, and is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Uh, don't miss that. That's a really strange phrase right after we're sheep to the slaughter. I just want you to picture it. Get, build a mind picture in your mind. Sheep slaughtered. Throats cut. Bleeding on the ground. People treading all over them. That's us. And then Paul says, you're more than conquerors. I think our view of conquering is a little different than God's. We think we're led as sheep to the slaughter, but we are more than conquerors. Why? Because Jesus loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, rulers, things present or things to come, not powers, not height, not depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no reason to be afraid of man. Or man's opinion. Or popular opinion. 
Most of the time, if you find yourself on the opposite of those things, you're probably doing something right. No? You're probably doing something right. So we see this call. Hebrews 13. We want to have love. We want to be able to respond with love toward others. We want to be careful how we treat other people. We want to be concerned about people going through difficult times. We want to realize that God made marriage and He wants us to honor it. Especially here in the body, in church, right? We want to, we want to recognize that God wants us to resist the love of money. He wants us to resist that, to turn away from it so that we can recognize that God is with us. That He's called us to contentment and courage to make a difference in this world. That's three. First three. Seven more to come next week. We'll look at those other seven next time as we come together and gather again. And we'll put that neat little bow on the book of Hebrews. After that, we're going to go to the book of James. So we'll have an exciting time continuing the study as we work our way through. I just want to encourage you, take the stuff we're talking about. Don't just put it in the ear. Let it come out your feet. Let's do something with what God's Word is calling us to. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.